This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Canada begins big petascale push. And machine learning catches a wave. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. Michael, This Week in HPC, we haven't talked about Canada too much. We've talked about a lot of these exascale countries and initiatives going on. Meanwhile, Canada... Uh, through Compute Canada, their National Compute Foundation, is is putting together a big effort to update Canada into the petascale era. Yeah, I mean, Canada's actually been pretty pretty quiet. They've been under the radar as far as putting out new systems. They haven't done it in a while. No, uh, no new big systems. I think right now they've got like one system on the top 500 list, but they've got this whole program that they've been formulating, and they basically just started putting out these big systems. They had an announcement uh, this past week about Cedar, which is the the biggest supercomputer in Canada now, as far as I can tell, it's 3.6 petaflops, and it's part of a a push to to build uh, to basically rebuild the academic supercomputing infrastructure in the country, and Cedar is just the first of those. Yeah, you can see the plans outlined at ComputeCanada.ca, but part of this initiative is that they're going for from a more distributed set of national infrastructure, which the report is currently 50 systems across 27 different data centers across the country, totaling about two petaflops and 20 petabytes of data. They're going to consolidate that down to 10 or fewer, as few as five major data centers, while simultaneously upgrading to 12 petaflops and over 50 data uh, petabytes of data. Uh, so the part of the, the initiative is to consolidate down to these larger computers, but the four major sites that they're going for are Simon Fraser University, which is going to host the Cedar system you were just talking about, plus additional systems at University of Victoria, University of Waterloo, and University of Toronto. Right, and and at least uh, two of those systems are are waiting for those systems. One of them is a, a very interesting system that's probably going to show up next month. At least that's what it's scheduled to to come online, and that's a system called uh, called Graham, and that's going into the the uh, University of Waterloo, and that's going to be um, uh, probably a slightly smaller system than Cedar. It doesn't have uh, quite as many GPUs, which is powering most of the the flops in in Cedar. It's going to have a uh, a uh, hundred or two less GPUs, but it's probably going to top out at about two and a half petaflops when it's installed. And interestingly, that system is going to be built by by Huawei. Yeah, the Cedar system that you were referring to before—that's a Dell cluster, and and right. very nice win for Dell. And we don't want to ignore <laughs> Dell there, but it did catch our eye that this Graham system going in is uh, Huawei. Uh, and Huawei is in the news twice this week. This, so first of all, this will be a major Huawei system. I don't recall yeah, another petaflop supercomputer from Huawei. Do you? Well, the biggest system they have now is the one in Poland, and that that's one like one and a uh, little under one and a half petaflops. It's the biggest, at least the public systems that they've announced. That's the biggest system they have 
on the book. So this system will be almost half again as big as that once it goes into production. And then then they'll have two uh, petascale systems and maybe more on the way. But yeah, it's a it's a milestone system for the company for sure. Plus expanding Huawei into North America with a major supercomputer in Canada. And Huawei also, in a different story you've posted on top500.org, has entered into a new collaboration with Intel. Right. Part of the part of what they were doing this week, they just signed this this week as uh, part of another event actually in Germany. Um, they're collaborating on... Uh, Basically, on advancing the technology and also advancing some of the research they've they're going to start collaborating on now. There's going to be some new research centers, some joint innovation centers, basically that are going to be. Uh, I think there's going to be two in China and then one in Germany and Munich uh, that they're going to be together on now and, and sort of collaborate and start building solutions with Intel technology, the Xeons and the Xeon Phi's, and of course the OmniPath Interconnect. Now, another thing those uh, first couple of systems have in common, the the ones at Waterloo and at Simon Fraser's, they're both using a mix of Intel Xeon processors and the new P100 uh, NVIDIA GPUs. Right. They're actually very similar systems. They're just configured uh, somewhat differently. And, and they actually have all different types of nodes in them. They have uh, basically different memory capacitors on the different nodes from very kind of small capacity memory nodes to much larger ones. I think they top out at three terabytes per node for those fat node type of uh, computing. And then they have this mix of uh, a number of two different, actually two different types of GP nodes in there as well with different memory capacities. So it's they've sort of thought this out pretty in a pretty detailed fashion. They're looking at different applications and they decided, well, there's a certain set of applications that can use GPUs. There's a certain set that needs this much memory versus this much. So it's it's quite a heterogeneous systems, uh, Graham and Cedar, together, but uh, kind of a very similar type of architecture. Yeah, and we've got public information on two additional systems coming out, although those are not the heterogeneous systems. Those are just going to be the, the strict Intel clusters only. And that's the uh, Arbitus system, which is a Lenovo system going to the University of Victoria, and the Niagara system, which is going to the University of Toronto. There's uh, no vendor announced with that one, but that's actually the larger of those two systems. Uh, Niagara, it's about 66,000 cores, and the Arbitus system from Lenovo is relatively small compared to the others, is uh, almost 7,000 cores. Right. Yeah, the uh, Niagara system, that or Niagara system, that's going to be probably all. I'm guessing all Intel Xeons there, and they're just that's basically their big vanilla cluster that's going to probably top out at a, at a petaflop or, or maybe more um, for those codes that can't use the the accelerator or or choose not to. So they'll have a pretty good range of systems now coming these are all going to be put in place the the arbutus systems there now but these other three cedars there now as well but these other two are coming in uh probably by the end of the year or or early 2018 yeah not to disparage vanilla by the way right one thing we're learning in this heterogeneous world is there are a lot of applications they're going to prefer to just keep that on a on a xeon cluster and not worry about any other types of many core components oh absolutely yeah i mean it's it's that's still the most popular architecture out there, and most of the codes by default run on, uh, you know, run on these big Intel Xeon clusters. 
Well, talking about other types of architectures, Michael, also this week in HPC, obviously we've talked a ton about machine learning and deep learning. And if this is the new big trend that's sweeping through the industry, it's only natural, of course, that that'll attract a startup. And now there's a company called Wave Computing that's got a machine learning appliance that it hopes to sell as more companies start uh, moving into the artificial intelligence and machine learning world. Yeah, wave computing came out of stealth mode, I think, last year. They ramped up quickly, and they were been planning uh, this appliance for a while, and they basically just came out with it. They're going to they're gonna have a first an early access program for sort of advanced researchers, data scientists, and developers to get a hold of this thing to, to run some codes on it, maybe hopefully develop some codes. But uh, they expect to have it generally available by the fourth quarter of this year, so they're starting to crank them out, and they, they basically just launched it uh, this week. And it's quite an interesting architecture. It's, it's not it's got a, it's got a, it's your own unique architecture here. They're calling a data flow architecture with a unique uh, data flow processing unit or DPU. Right, and they've documented this pretty well. They've got a lot of information out on it. And what I didn't know, I've, I've covered this once before, but it's uh, when when you dig down and see some of the details, that DPU is actually, it's not an ASIC. It's actually something closer to an FPGA that's uh, basically word addressable. So it's, it's a lot easier to program. And, and Wave Computing has its own uh, software development stack to do this with, but it's a different type of processor than uh, than other people have been working on for either training or or inferencing. So it's sort of a unique uh, a unique beast here. And they've put this thing together and they've built a whole appliance. And each uh, each two U box can, uh, according to them, can perform 2.9 petaops uh, per box. And you can string four of these together with their own interconnect and get something just just south of uh, 12 petaops per what they call a node. So it's a lot of performance in sort of a very small package. You said 2U. I think it's a 3U form factor. 3U. The appliance uh, yeah. itself. But yeah, 2.9 petaops in the uh, 3U box, which is built on 16 DPUs or these data flow processing units. Then it's also packed with a lot of... Uh, uh, DRAM, there's up to 128 gigabytes of memory in each of these uh, 3U form factors. So, you know, it's it's definitely from a raw performance standpoint an interesting architecture. That is not what concerns me about this. My concern is is going to be that, you know, we've made an assumption that because machine learning is hot, that means there's a market for these appliances. And, and that, I think, is as yet unproven. You're taking a leap of faith here that as people move into uh, machine learning and AI, that they're going to want to buy appliances to do this in-house. And as we've discussed before, most of machine learning has happened in cloud-based environments thus far. Now, there ought to be an incentive to start moving some of that in-house, because if that's where the data is, you don't want to necessarily move the data into the cloud. But my bigger concern is one around skill sets that 
you know, if if your if your premise is that you're going to make this available for data scientists to start moving into machine learning, well, data scientist is a title we only invented about five or six years ago, right? And <laughs> right. now we're taking it another level for your expert data scientist to start doing machine learning. I'm just worried that there's a skills gap here in terms of you know dropping this computer on people, and there's got to be a dearth of uh, talent that really knows how to effectively apply machine learning to their mountains of data. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a valid concern. I mean, I think these systems are are going to the to the elite in this area. I mean, if you if you look at this appliance, it looks um, at least at the fifty thousand foot level, something like a DGX one that that Nvidia put together to pack eight of its GPUs in, into one of those boxes. And NVIDIA has been distributing them to various organizations. Some some they've been giving away, others have been bought. Um, but it's not like they're selling you know, them by the bushel loads, not not hundreds or dozens, at least not, not that we can see. But they are going to some key spots into some sort of high-level places that uh, hopefully they're going to leverage a lot of expertise and, and, and push the envelope forward. And I think that's where these appliances are also going to be aimed at from way of computing, although Honestly, if uh, I have a feeling the, the, the cloud providers, the hyperscale companies are going to look at these and at least kick the tires on them, thinking that uh, basically Waves is pr- uh, promising uh, an order of magnitude improvement over like a GPU-based system like a DGX1. And if they can get that at, at a price point that's attractive, I think the, the hyperscale guys will come in and, and try and put one into production even if, if they are convinced this, this can work for them. As it stands now, it's set up for wave computing, in my estimation, to be a kind of a feast or, or famine situation. I, I agree that you've got a new data processor, data flow processing unit. It should be interesting for a hyperscale company to take that and see if it works. I don't know how much they're willing to pay for it. And, you right. know, you could be a major hyperscale company says, give me three of those for free, and then I'll decide if I like it or not. Uh, If I like it, then the likelier thing is they'll just buy the whole company and say, great, we'll take this, thanks. Uh, If they don't, then, well, I'm not going to order one, and and you just gave me the ones for free, and so never mind. And it's hard to imagine some kind of in-between. And if you're trying to manage the in-between scenario... Well, you know, anytime we've seen companies based on custom processing, it's one thing to say I'm a generation ahead now for something targeted, but maintaining a pace of development that remains interesting ahead of companies like Intel and NVIDIA for a long period of time, that's just difficult to maintain. Uh, with you, know, you can do it with a point product, but to say I'm going to consistently have a roadmap out ahead of those companies is, is just a tough go. Yeah, I mean that's always the challenge for these custom uh, these custom developments. But it's it's got this now, and it sounds like it. You know, there's another one already on the drawing board. I mean, the nice thing about this, they do have a development stack for it. you. Can you can program this in C and C plus plus. They they support TensorFlow as the initial framework for machine learning, and they're looking at a couple of others to support as well. So from a high level point of view, they ought to be able to get some people trying this out uh, at a uh, at least uh, people that are good at this at a uh, pretty quickly, and like you said, if people like this, if a big company likes this, you know, like they'll just buy the whole company. Um, 
but uh, it'll take a while till this proves out. It's a new architecture, and the software stack is still a little uh, sparse at this point. But I think it's a good start, and it's very interesting uh, technology. And I hope hopefully somebody will will do some work and and put up some benchmarks on some real applications. Yeah, you know, when when uh, big data really got going, uh, you know, people talked about big data appliances for companies, too. And, and those never we didn't see any big startup really take off by saying, I've got a big data appliance that makes this really easy. I'm worried that this falls into a similar pattern here, but that doesn't mean it isn't an interesting product. And, and I'll be uh, excited to see what happens with it. It's just a question of how the market dynamics develop around it. Yep, Absolutely. All right, Michael, a couple of interesting stories. I appreciate it. Our listeners can read the full stories as usual on top500.org. Thanks a lot, Michael, and thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.